It's nearly over. It is a crucial choice that people face at this election on Thursday. In this episode, we'll ease you through election night with our cut-out and keep guide. After five more years of a Tory government, how many more people will be sleeping on the streets of our towns and cities? Hello, Paul Osborne here, and thank you for downloading our Eve of Election special. You know, the 2017 election was unexpected, greeted by many voters with a jaw-dislocating yawn, and is now almost at an end. And the campaign, of course, was punctuated by acts of appalling violence. Once again, last weekend, the politicians pushed off the front pages by another terrorist attack. It is time to say enough is enough. Everybody needs to go about their lives as they normally would. Our society should continue to function in accordance with our values. But when it comes to taking on extremism and terrorism, things need to change. This was an appalling terrorist atrocity committed by those warped by a depraved inhumanity. We have to stand together, united and determined in our communities as the people of Manchester did less than two weeks ago. The campaigns were briefly paused the day after the killing of seven people by three men whose response to seeing people of different faiths and of none relaxing and enjoying themselves was to attack them. This is the backdrop against which this election has been played out. Voters look to politicians to protect them from such things, and frankly, politicians aren't sure how to do that. This is a different kind of threat to the ones the UK has faced in the past. And while there is often that determination not to politicise an outrage like this, it was never likely to happen with an attack so close to polling day. You cannot protect the public on the cheap. We will recruit another 10,000 new police officers, including more armed police, who need to be properly rewarded, as well as 1,000 more security service staff to support our communities and help keep us safe. We've funded an uplift in the number of armed police officers, but it's also about the powers that you give to the police. And I've been responsible for giving the police extra powers to deal with terrorism. The key issue, it seemed, was police numbers. Now, they have fallen by 19,000 in England and Wales since 2010. Now, in turn, the Conservatives would respond to critics by pointing to increased resources for counter-terror policing, if not perhaps increased personnel. Security, of course, is supposed to be a comfortable place for the Conservatives. Yet this time, Theresa May has been on the back foot a little. After six years in the Home Office, when she was let's remember, overseeing those police budget cuts. But Labour's on shaky ground too. Jeremy Corbyn's newfound enthusiasm for shoot-to-kill policies does look distinctly opportunistic, though this close to an election, he didn't really have that much of an alternative. So here we are, a general election that was meant to be about Brexit, which has turned into a debate about how best to protect the population from the threat of terrorism. One thing we do know is that terrorists, generally speaking, are not big fans of democracy. So whichever side of the fence you eventually come down on, perhaps the most effective way to counter the misery of the last week is to turn out and vote. It is a crucial choice that people face at this election on Thursday. We have one more day of full campaigning to get out there and take our message to people, not just about that choice, 
but about the Britain of the future that we want to build. How much longer will the waiting list be in our A&E departments and in our hospitals? How much more overcrowded will our primary school classes be after five more years of a Tory government? How many more people will be sleeping on the streets of our towns and cities? A little there of the last cries for support of the Labour and Conservative leaders. And let me just shoehorn in a little bit of shameless self-promotion here. On election night, I shall dust off my abacus and drag it into BBC Radio London, where I'll be trying to shed a little light on the results through the night as they come in. It all starts at 10pm and rattles on till 5 in the morning. Your company, of course, will be greatly appreciated and my colleague Robert performs a similar task the following afternoon as well. Now in a moment we're going to try and uh, guide you through the night ahead but first of all I want to meet another star of this campaign. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Aidan Powelsland. Now he was UKIP's candidate in South Suffolk, a man who is pinning his hopes for economic revival post-Brexit on interstellar travel and mining the asteroid belt. Pretty far out. Then we met this guy. Hello, my name's Greg Knight. I'm the Conservative candidate for East Yorkshire. There's a general election on the 8th of June. Now, Sir Greg Knight does not have the most convincing delivery. I'll give you that. But who else has this? You'll get accountability with conservative delivery. Make sure this time you get it right. for Greg Knight. I need to make clear, this is in no way an endorsement of Sir Greg Knight's campaign. There are five other candidates in his constituency, but come on! Who doesn't want an MP who has his own jingle? And come to think of it, why don't more politicians have their own jingles? They could be played as they come on stage or as they stand up at the dispatch box. Imagine what Jeremy Corbyn's jingle would sound like. Seriously, imagine it. If it was a week to polling day rather than a day, I'd make this a competition. I'd go out to the shops and buy a prize to induce you to write a winning jingle. If local DJs at stations with names like 107.6 The Spud can have their own jingle, why the hell can't politicians? Anyway, back to the more serious business. going to foolishly attempt to predict Thursday night's events on my own, so uh, let's cross over to Robert Meakin as well. Uh, Robert, you excited, presumably, at the thought of another breathless all-nighter? I'm a sad man, so yes, I am. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, let, let's just try, with, with the caveat that we have failed to predict every major political event in the last three years. <laughs> President Clinton. Yeah, President Clinton, the Remain vote in the referendum, the hung parliament in 2015. Prime Minister Miliband, yes. Yeah, seriously, you should be writing all this down and then popping straight into Ladbrokes. There's a parallel universe somewhere where we've been right every time. What a lovely place that would be, chiefly because there'd be no Donald Trump. <laughs> in that parallel universe, Donald Trump's probably in prison somewhere. No, and we'd be well-paid experts somewhere. If only Doctor Who were real. Let's start with the Tories, uh, because 
the reason the Tory campaign has barely mentioned the word conservative over the last seven weeks is because all of the targets, nearly all of them, are in places where conservative is still a pretty toxic word. Hence that personality cult around Theresa May, hampered, admittedly, by the fact that she hasn't got a particularly winning personality. The common factor in these Tory targets is a high Brexit vote. There's loads of of sort of low-hanging fruit for tomorrow. There are plenty of Labour-held seats that will fall on a tiny, tiny, tiny swing like Chester, Barrow, Halifax, they'll they'll go. The test is the places with Labour majorities of around about 5% and majority leave votes in the referendum last year. So if I was looking for seats to watch out for on Thursday night, Bolton Northeast, uh, Bury South, these are the kind of places where they'd need a reasonable swing to take the seat, but there's a reasonable leave vote. And you always you get that sense very quickly when they when those sorts of seats start to tumble, the, the picture very quickly emerges, doesn't it? How how the night is going to go. This doesn't mean that the, the, the Tories aren't going to pick up a bunch of seats in places where normally they wouldn't even, you know, risk knocking on a door. I mean, just looking, say, at, at sort of Yorkshire in the northeast, we mentioned Halifax, but you know, Dewsbury, Middlesbrough South, Wakefield, Darlington, Scunthorpe, Bishop Auckland. Imagine those places having a Tory MP on Friday morning. It would have seemed impossible even six months ago to think that that would happen. But it is, despite the narrowing of the polls in the last couple of weeks, that is a realistic prospect. It is. And look, we can only draw so many parallels with the recent local election. But the Tories stormed through the north of England uh, that night. You know, we've got they've got mayors in that part of the world now, for goodness sake, in the northeast. It, it, it can't be ruled out. They've, they've, they've poured in resources uh, to the north of England. They feel they've got a chance of winning. Certainly a, t- a couple of weeks ago, it, it looked very ominous for, for Labour MPs in, in certain constituencies there with, you know, with the, the Prime Minister and other big hitters arriving, famous, as I say, focusing resources on that part of the world. Now it seems now it seems to be a, a, a harder sell to believe that you know, can the Tories really cut through in big numbers in those places as we possibly imagined a fortnight ago. Theresa May hasn't had a particularly good uh, campaign of late, but does that really mean anything to people on the outside? Yeah, it, it, will that really affect that vote? Because it was certainly it seemed to be going. The wind seemed to be with the Conservatives in those regions. Uh, has that really changed? Because Theresa May's proved to be a fairly ordinary, stilted campaigner. Uh, I'm not convinced it has. I, I don't think it's, going to, it's necessarily going to be the big, the big, massive uh, victory for the Tories across the North and the Midlands that maybe we were talking about a couple of weeks back. But you still get the sense that they are going to cut through. I think one critical factor is going to be the Labour turnout, because maybe a month ago we might have thought that a lot of natural Labour voters would have stayed away because they didn't want to support Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn's had a pretty good campaign. He's, I think, been more relaxed. He's been more informal. He hasn't been as uptight as he is in the House of Commons. And there seems to have been a movement among Labour's existing supporters that they're going to vote Labour, even if they're not convinced about Jeremy Corbyn, partly, I think, because they've decided he's not going to win. So it's it's a relatively safe thing to do. But but if, if the Labour voters do turn out in some of those target seats, that makes it harder for the Tories to win. But always remember, the thing that puts the Tories 
ahead is the fact that the UKIP vote has collapsed and most of those UKIP voters have gone over to the Conservatives. And so it's a bit like doing a 100 metre race where the Conservatives are kind of 50 metres down the track before they fire the starting gun. But you are right with, in terms of what's happened with the Labour Party. It has been interesting to watch because it was hard to imagine at the beginning of the campaign that they would be in any way unified. I mean, for goodness sake, there was there was a, just a, an attempt only last year among the MPs and a section of the membership to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn again as a leader. Uh, but what has happened, and I think it's pretty inevitable, really, as the, as the weeks have gone on, as the campaign has hotted up, they're like an old family, really. They've had their big fallouts. But at the end of the day, they are the Labour Party. What, what, what unifies them? They don't want Theresa May to be prime minister. All right. A, a lot of them aren't particularly keen on Jeremy Corbyn. A lot of those people are rather quieter, though, I have to say, presently. But more than anything, they hate Tories and they certainly don't want Theresa May as PM. And that's been a unifying force. So Labour has got its act together a bit. And again, I think that's why those seats we talk about, particularly in the north of England, that the Tories have been buzzing around. That's why I think some of them will be defended successfully by the Labour Party. Not so many will fall, because I think Labour has just been able to get its act together in certain places. Whether they can really hold back the, the, the tide of the Tory invasion completely, I think that's a different matter. As I say, I think the Tories will be able to start picking them off in different parts of the country where they wouldn't have imagined winning a few years ago. Now, the Tories were hoping to, to sweep through Wales and pick up a, a good handful of seats there. The Labour Party's had a real revival in Wales and that doesn't seem as likely. What about Scotland? Two, three weeks ago, we were saying the Tories were now going to win a dozen seats in Scotland, uh, that they had taken over from Labour as the anti-SNP force, that Labour was dead in the water. Again, some evidence of Labour catching up, though what's interesting about that is that actually that probably helps the SNP because the anti SMP vote is now split. Obviously, the, the, the nationalists are going to slip back because they had all but three seats at the last election. But if you if you look at some of the target seats, there aren't that many seats that would fall on a very small swing to the Tories. Um, Berwickshire, Roxburgh and Selkirk, that goes on a, I mean, on a tiny, tiny, tiny swing. But places like Dumfries, Aberdeenshire West, Perth, th- those are the kind of places the Tories would have hoped to have maybe taken some seats. Edinburgh is somewhere they always hope to do reasonably well. The, the jewel in the crown would have been Moray, which is Angus Robertson's seat. He's the Westminster leader. He's the guy they would really have liked to have taken out. They need a swing of nearly 10 percent to take that seat off the SNP and it just doesn't seem terribly likely. Uh, Ruth Davidson, the, the Scottish Conservative leader, is, is well regarded inside the Conservative Party, seems a, a pretty popular figure among significant uh, you know, sections of the population in Scotland, if you, if you look at the polls. So if they aren't able to make uh, you know, significant breakthroughs, I mean, significant in fairly modest terms, we are talking about the Conservative Party in Scotland at the end of the day, but if they aren't able to make some sort of you know, meaningful breakthrough, I think, A, that would come as a surprise, judging by the way Davidson has been perceived and how the performance has been perceived but b it would be a big disappointment i think it, it for for davidson i think as, as as tory leader north of the border because i think she has been expected to be the one to kick the doors down if she isn't able to do that i think that would be uh, i think that'd be very very deflating for, for her and a real setback
Now, the surprise story of the final weeks of the campaign was Labour's revival, not just narrowing that enormous Tory opinion poll lead, but the way that Jeremy Corbyn seemed to relax into his role as he travelled around the country. It is probably helping him, as we said before, that most people still don't think he's actually got any chance of winning. So that makes it easier to risk voting Labour, even if you don't think Mr Corbyn's up to the job of being Prime Minister. Even so... Almost every prediction sees Labour losing a good number of seats to the Tories. Is there anywhere where they could actually have gains? Maybe. There's a handful of very, very narrow Tory majorities that Labour will be going after. And interestingly, they're in the same sort of places where the Tories are trying to clean up. So... You know, there are only 400 behind the Tories in Bury North, 800 in Bolton West. But high leave votes, UKIP vote collapsing, really hard to see that happening. Similarly, in the Midlands, somewhere like Telford, Derby North, the majority was only 41. On any other day, Labour would expect to roll that over. But again, it just doesn't feel necessarily like a night of Labour gains. One place, though, where Labour probably will hold off the Tory advance is London. They made seven gains in London two years ago. There are a lot of seats on paper that are vulnerable. There are, I think, about eight or nine Labour seats in London that would fall on a swing of around about 3% or less to the Tories. Now, in some of them, I would still expect the Tories to take them, like Ealing Central, Brentford, Nisleworth, maybe even Elton, which is actually quite a tough target, but of uh, uh, one of the few parts of London with a majority Brexit vote. But but London, like Scotland, like Wales, could be the places where that Tory advance doesn't quite take hold. Oh, I, th- I think that's very likely. But general elections aren't won in London, Manchester, Wales, Scotland, presently, UK elections. The real battleground is in, is in the Midlands and the North. Most parties are resigned how things are going to go in the capital. We know London, yeah, inner London, is a Labour city. That's not going to change. I mean, Labour's had a rough time in recent years, but it's remained a Labour city. It elected a Labour mayor last year. And so there's no real breakthrough. There's no joy for the Tories in that part of the world. And I think... Just looking into our dodgy crystal ball, if the Labour vote ends up holding up in the event of a Labour defeat, but the Labour vote reasonably holds up and it's not the calamitous you know, outcome that people were so gleefully predicting a few weeks ago, they'll always be able to say that, you know, they, that, that they've got the Londons, they've got London, they've got Manchester, they've got Wales, that they've held on to these big power bases and, and that from there they can grow. Now, it is frankly anyone's guess what's going to happen to the Liberal Democrats this time. They could gain five seats, they could gain 15 seats they could lose five seats just as easily the campaign really never took off and although tim farron has had some decent one-liners and comes across as personable and friendly that whole rollback brexit campaign strategy really hasn't worked and the lib dem poll rating has actually slid back a little bit during the campaign we we, we seem to be drifting back into being a two-party system at the moment now look If the Lib Dems can't take Cambridge, where there were only 600 votes behind Labour last time, then there really is absolutely no hope for them. I'd be surprised if Vince Cable didn't get back in in Twickenham. I wouldn't rule out Simon Hughes pulling off a return in Bermondsey, even though he'd need to overturn a decent Labour majority 
to do it. But then there are lots of other Lib Dem target seats in the south of England that on paper they really ought to be taking back the seats that they lost in 2015. But those same seats, many of them, have very high leave votes in the EU referendum. I just don't see that Lib Dem anti-Brexit message taking hold in the southwest of England or in places like Lewis or Eastbourne even, where again the majority is tiny. I think they're going to have a tough night. Yeah, and they've they've clung on. I mean, that strategy worked in Richmond Park last year when they, when Goldsmith, Zach Goldsmith, the Tory candidate, um, called the by-election on the basis of the, his protest against the Heathrow expansion. Um, the uh, the Lib Dems very cannily turned it into a vote about Brexit because it was not obviously that was still fresh in anyone's memories at the time, and it worked for them. They won. They beat the Tories in Richmond Park. But I almost think then they thought, right, that's our strategy now for national success. And times moved on very, very quickly. I think my sense is that, you know, big percentage of Remainers are now resigned to the fact, well, of course, we're, we're now in Brexit territory. Our concern now is getting a decent deal and trusting a government to secure that, not to completely balls that up. And that, I think, is the priority of most people now. So still to be harking on about, you know, rejecting the, the previous result, essentially, and saying we'll have a second referendum just seems so out of kilter with what's really going on at the moment. As you say, I mean, the Lib Dems are famously good campaigners. No doubt about that. I've you know, covered general elections and by-elections in the past where they've been targeting a seat. And when they really pile their, their resources into a certain area, they can be effective. I think when you mention the likes of Simon Hughes and Vince Cable, two very wily campaigners, they certainly can't be underestimated in terms of possibly getting their seats back. But overall... I just think they've been drowned out in this election. Uh, Farron, Tim Farron is an amiable bloke, comes across as a decent campaigner. As I've probably said far too many times, I don't think he comes across as an authoritative, strong, convincing leader. And I don't think he's going to have a, a particularly remarkable night uh, on, the, on June the 8th, 9th. So uh, I, think, I think overall it will be a deflating night for the Lib Dems, but with a few little success stories that they'll no doubt be able to cling to. So there we are, the crystal ball predictions of two people whose Jedi-like powers of foresight are legendary. Oh, yes. <laughs> Hundred seats for the Lib Dems now. <laughs> and I look forward on Friday to gloating about all of the things that we have correctly forecast here. And uh, if you are taking those predictions down to the bookies, do feel free to share the proceeds uh, with us. Uh, we will be tweeting furiously on election night as the results come in. Uh, we will also be back with you uh, after the election to weigh up the implications of the results of an election which, let's be honest, few of us wanted, most of us will be very glad to see the back of, and the good news is it's nearly over. Don't forget, kids, you can't complain about the outcome if you don't bother to vote. So whatever you're planning to do on Thursday, do please find the time to go down and actually take part. Uh, for the moment, uh, from Robert and from myself, happy voting and goodbye. Yeah.